Well, welcome everybody. It's lovely to see you all in church today, and please don't worry if the children make noise, it's fine. God loves children, so just be relaxed. Um, as Simon said, my name is Kerry, I'm part of the ministry team here, and we're in a, a series coming up to Easter, looking at the cross and the different perspectives, the way the cross affected different people that Jesus knew. And we started two weeks ago looking at Lazarus. Now Lazarus was a friend of Jesus and he died. Jesus did not get back in time to heal him. And so when, when Jesus came, he saw Lazarus's tomb and he said to him, come out. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. So Lazarus knew that Jesus had the power over life and death. Jesus knew, Lazarus knew that Jesus was a very special man. So to see Jesus on the cross dying was very confronting and very confusing for Lazarus. Because what Lazarus didn't realize was that Jesus had to die for us. He had to die in our place. He was our substitute. And then last week, we looked at the crowd. We looked at the crowd that cheered and, and praised Jesus as he came into Jerusalem and, and how they were influenced by a small group of people. And then a few days later, they were calling for Jesus to be crucified, also influenced by a small group of people. And it shows the power of a committed and strong voice, the effect that it can have on us. And so the challenge for us as people of God is to be an influence for good. And today we're looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's fine. We're looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how the cross impacted her. And I think today that's particularly confronting when we have these beautiful babies amongst us. And as I was reading about Mary and doing my research, I was thinking about how as parents, we have so many expectations for our children when they're born. They have their whole lives ahead of them. And you know, we want as parents for them to have good experiences. And there's so much opportunity, so much expectation. Of course, they're so vulnerable and they're completely dependent on their parents for everything, for nourishment, for protection, for care, and for love. And as parents, well, we do the best we can. But I think most of us would have moments where we think, did I really do enough? Especially if things are not going so well in their life at the time. We question ourselves and we ask, you know, was I there enough? Did I care enough? Did I show enough love? Did I do enough? And I think in that regard that Mary is no different from us as a parent. Mary came to the public crucifixion of her son. So here is her precious baby, a baby that she carried in her body, a baby that she nursed, that she cared for, that she had so many expectations for. Here she is seeing him hung on the cross. And the grief of seeing her son so cruelly, cruelly treated, and not just the physical pain, not just that he was tortured, 
but experiencing the humiliation, the public mocking of being rejected by so many people, the disgrace and the shame of being on a cross. And I expect that she felt the deepest, deepest pain and grief that anyone can feel. And even more than that, she was seeing all her hopes for Jesus just evaporate. These hopes were based on her experience with him, but they were also based on promises that she received from God about who he would be. And so mixed with this grief would be doubt, doubt in herself, doubt in God. Did she truly understand what God had said to her? Has she misunderstood all of this life that she's led with Jesus? So this is an extra layer to her grief, this doubt that she had. And so I want to look at some key moments in Mary's life. There's lots written about Mary in the Gospels, and I can't cover it all today. But I want to pick out some key moments that really shaped the way she looked at Jesus. So the first time we meet Mary is when the angel Gabriel comes to visit her. And this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And I want to pause for a moment and look at Gabriel and who he is because he is a formidable creature. And Luke just says, matter of fact, the angel Gabriel came to visit Mary, as if this is an everyday experience that you can imagine will happen to you. Gabriel is mentioned by name four times in the Bible, twice in the book of Daniel and twice in the book of Luke. In Daniel, the angel Gabriel came to him to explain to him some visions that Daniel had had. Now, Daniel, he was descended from princes and he was a powerful man in the palace of the king and he was very well educated. So he was used to meeting dignitaries, he was used to meeting very important people, kings, princes from all over the world. They would come into this palace of this king that he worked in. And Daniel also had been thrown into the lion's den and had survived. So Daniel is not a man who is easily given over to fear. And yet, when Gabriel appeared to him, he fell on his face. He was overcome with fear. He fainted. Daniel fainted at the sight of Gabriel. And he was sick for days after. So Gabriel is a formidable creature. The next time Gabriel is mentioned is in the New Testament where he visits a priest, Zechariah, when he was ministering in the temple. And this is in Luke 1. Now Zechariah also was used to people in high office. He lived near Jerusalem. He served in the temple and so he had a high status and he was also well educated. But Zechariah also was overcome with fear. So Gabriel is an impressive and daunting figure. The next time that Gabriel is mentioned is when he visits Mary. And Mary, she's quite a young girl. She lives in a backwater town in Galilee, far from Jerusalem, far from the temple, far from the king's courts. She's a peasant girl. And this angel who has spoken to Daniel, the prophet and great advisor to a king, has spoken to Zechariah, the priest, 
well-educated man. Now he is talking to Mary. So imagine if the Queen or Prince Harry turned up in your kitchen and started to talk to you. That would be quite overwhelming, I imagine, and quite unexpected. But for Mary, it's even more than that, because this is an angel of God. This is an angel who lives in the presence of God, and he has come down to speak to Mary. And he says to her, Don't be afraid, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This is a life-changing experience for Mary. And there are two important parts to this speech that Gabriel makes. The first is that the angel says that Jesus will be great and that he will have a kingdom that will never end. Now this is a huge promise to speak over a baby, that he would be a great man. And it created in Mary an expectation of who Jesus would be. Now, this is a peasant girl living far from the centre of power, having no contact with kings or queens or anybody in high, high positions. So this is something that seems absolutely impossible to her, and yet it's such an enticing thing to think of for your baby child. The second aspect of the proclamation is that Mary has never been with a man and cannot understand how she will become pregnant. But she does become pregnant, and no one believes that she is a virgin. Even Joseph, her fiancé, thinks that he, she has been unfaithful. So Mary must bear the shame of being unmarried and pregnant in her day, and she must bear the taunt and mockering of people around her. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of not being believed, but it's very belittling. It really takes something away from you. It's, it's very degrading and it undermines your very identity of who you think you are when people don't believe you. And for Mary, this belittling is not just from her family and her friends and her village, because it continues on today. Mary is still mocked and still disbelieved. And many people scoff at the suggestion that Mary could have been a virgin. It's a major stumbling block for them. And even scholars, I've seen arguments over the meaning of the Hebrew and the Greek word, that it simply means a young girl. But Mary herself questions the angel, saying, how can I be pregnant when I haven't been with a man? And Joseph knows that he and Mary have not been intimate. So there's the testimony of angel Gabriel, there's the testimony of Mary, and the testimony of Joseph, that Jesus was conceived in a supernatural way. So Mary knew what it was like not to be believed, and so she had to be quite strong at a very young age. And nine months later, Jesus is born. And the birth seems to be quite a natural process, but the things that happen on that night are quite miraculous. Shepherds, 
people who have no standing in society at all. They're in the hills around, around Bethlehem and they see an angel of the Lord. And he tells them that the Messiah, the long-awaited Saviour, has been born. And then a host of angels joins him and they sing praises to God. That's in Luke 2. And the shepherds came to visit Jesus that night and they told Mary about their experience. And Luke says that Mary treasured these things in her heart, meaning that she kept these experiences in the front of her mind as a way of assuring herself of the promises that she'd received from the angel Gabriel. And Luke makes the same con comment when Jesus was a young boy and he astounded the teachers in the temple with his knowledge of the scriptures. Luke says there, Mary treasured these things in her heart. So Mary had this incredible experience with the angel and now the experience is being confirmed by the shepherds and by educated people in the temple and also by the wise men. So these men were scholars from the east, not part of the tribe of Israel, but God revealed to them that Jesus was a king. That's in Matthew 2. And they brought gifts. They brought gold, which signifies that Jesus is a king. They brought incense, which shows that Jesus is a priest and worthy of worship. And they brought myrrh, which is used to embalm people after they die. And the significance of these gifts would have been quite meaningful to Mary. And then these men, they bowed down and they worshipped Jesus. So that's like Prince Harry coming to your home and worshipping your child. It's quite extraordinary. There were many other experiences that Mary had, but I want to finish with this one. It's when Mary took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to God and there were two prophets waiting in the temple courts, Simeon and Anna. When Simeon saw Mary walk in with the baby, under the power of the Holy Spirit, he said he immediately recognised this baby was the Messiah. And he took Jesus in his arms and he said, He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel which amazed Joseph and Mary. But he went on to say directly to Mary, this child will cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. So here we have the sweet hope and the bitter reality mixed together. The incredible future that Jesus will have as the light and glory of God, but the outcome of the rejection of Jesus being a sword that will pierce Mary's very soul. And so that is what the cross is for Mary. It is a place of despair. It is a place of lost hope. It is a place of deep, deep grief. And grief 
It comes to us in many forms. It can come from the loss of a job. It can come from the loss of our health. And of course, a family pet, but also our parents, siblings, friends, and our children. We tend to think that grief is a human condition, but the Bible has many verses about how God grieves. God grieves over our distance from him, our disobedience, our willfulness, our self-centeredness. Genesis 6, 6 says that God grieved over the wickedness of humanity. Psalm 78.40 tells of God's grief over the rebellion of the Israelites in the wilderness. And Ephesians 4.30 says, Be careful, be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself wept over the death of Lazarus and he wept over Jerusalem. He wept over that city because that city had so many opportunities to be faithful to God and yet was so unfaithful so many times. Jesus wept over the tragedy of lost opportunity. And while we're experiencing grief, it can seem like it will never end. It can seem like it is a deep, deep hole that we can't get out of. But we are not alone. Psalm 56.8 says that God keeps track of all our sorrows. God keeps track of all our sorrows and that he bottles our tears. And Isaiah 53.3 says that Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But God also says that our grief will pass. Psalm 35 says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we see this so clearly with Mary's experience of the cross. Her grief turned to unimaginable joy with Jesus' resurrection. For three days, Mary was torn apart with grief. All hope she had all those promises she received from God, all those incredible experiences that she had about the nature and the power of her son, all those hopes were just destroyed. But the truth of those hopes was revealed when Jesus overcame death. Every promise to Mary was fulfilled, not in the way that she imagined, but in a powerful and everlasting way. Mary's experience of the cross was deep, deep grief, but it was resolved in a way that she could never have imagined and in such a powerful and everlasting way. Jeremiah 29.11 says that God has a plan and a purpose for us and Romans 8.28 says all things work together for our good. And these are not just empty, hollow words. And they can seem painful at the time when we're in grief, but the truth of God stands. So I just want to leave this perspective of the cross with these thoughts. A baby is born with so much potential, a future that stretches before them, a future that parents hope will be full of good, good experiences. But the baby grows up in a world that has rebelled against God. It grows up in a world where people do not believe in God, 
a world where people are often concerned only with their own well-being. And the potential for the baby is tainted and distorted by that. But there is a God who sees this, who sees all the potential, sees all the distortion, and finds a way, even through that, to bring everything back into a right way. And that way is Jesus. Jesus needed to die on the cross to restore our full potential to us. Jesus is the way that we are given new life, a full life and a hope for eternal life with God. It is the restoration of the way God intended life to be for us. And it is a free gift to anyone who believes that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God Almighty, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you that it is through Jesus that we can be reconciled to you, that we can receive eternal life, that we can be freed from the distortions of a life in a world that is distant from you. Lord God, we want to open our hearts to you. We want to open our minds to you. We ask that you give us an insight into who you are and into how much you love us. May we know the depth and the breadth of your love and may it guide us to love you more deeply. Amen.